This week, Planned Parenthood names a new president, and she makes an appearance on The View. A new study finds alarmingly high rates of attempted suicide among transgender teens. Misleading hits keep coming against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, which we will be debunking later in the show. And a local news anchor brings attention to the opioid crisis in a heartbreaking but inspiring way. All that and more in this week's edition of Problematic Women. Hello and welcome to another edition of Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook watch show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness, and I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer over at The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal. So today we have a great show for you, a lot to unpack. So first, let's kick it off with Planned Parenthood's new president, who made an appearance earlier today on The View. She said during her segment that being a parent has clarified her values as healthcare being necessary for all. And she also said that healthcare shouldn't be political. Let's watch. I can understand if you are are someone that is pro, I talk to my friends about this all the time. Planned Parenthood is something that has become a political thing. Mm -hmm. It is very divisive. And if you are pro-life, people, they, I hear all the time, I don't want my taxpayer money going to fund an organization that provides abortions. Whether or not the money is direct or indirect, that's being done. a lot of people have a really hard time that I know part of your role, you want to make it less political and you want to make it something for every woman. But that's a real challenge that you guys have on your plate. Do you understand why people have a hard time with it? Here's my, here's my concern, though, that health care shouldn't be political. Needing medications for your children isn't political. Bre- getting breast and cancer screening. And I, I don't disagree with you on that at all. I don't and, and making hard decisions, like if your child needs an abortion, because someone has raped her shouldn't be a a political decision. It shouldn't be a decision that you make. It should be a decision that a parent and the doctor make. And right now, it is legal. Listen, I don't want my money going to all these wars, but I understand that that as an American citizen, that's what you have to do. There's a lot of stuff I don't want to pay for. There's a lot of stuff most people don't want to pay for. But as citizens, this is part of what we have to do as Americans, I think. Yeah. So, Bree, I, ever since Meghan McCain joined The View, I have loved it. I think they've done a great job really challenging their guests. Of course, they picked a day that Meghan McCain wasn't scheduled to be there to invite Planned Parenthood's new president, Dr. Lena Wen, to the show. I think this was a pretty softball interview. Um, And, you know, her one, you know, one of the narratives she was trying to promote is that Planned Parenthood isn't political, that women's health care shouldn't be political. Sure, we can all agree with that, but I don't understand how you sit at the table and make that argument when you are now head of an organization that has an entire action fund, an entire lobbying firm devoted to politics. Planned Parenthood is now the leading charge on many of our our campaigns that we're seeing across the country. They are one of the top organizations um, uh, opposing uh, Brett Kavanaugh. They are as political as it gets, and that is their choice to really politicize women's health care. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's 100 percent what they're trying to do. Uh, her claim that she doesn't want to make health care political 
absolutely absurd. Also, I was a little bit frustrated um, that Abby Huntsman didn't push back a little bit when she said that and, you know, kind of challenge her about whether or not she thinks abortion is health care, because a lot of Americans, including myself, do not think that abortion is health care because it literally ends in the termination of another life. And the fact of the matter is that women die every single year at the during legal abortion procedures. We always hear the lines about, you know, we want to keep abortion safe, legal and rare. Well, the numbers say otherwise. Planned Parenthood specifically, and and to Sunny Hosen's credit, earlier in this uh, interview, she challenged um, Dr. Wen about a lot of the numbers when it comes to abortion, right? So about every year, it's about 300,000 abortions that Planned Parenthood goes through with. Yeah, performs. And that doesn't include the number Plan B um, administered. They administer, which which is almost a quarter— of a million. Right. Yeah. So basically, yeah, just really high numbers when it comes to terminating lives. So I think that she should have been challenged a little bit more about whether or not she thinks that abortion is health care because it kind of objectively, it objectively is not when it ends in the termination of another individual's life. Um, so I was frustrated that she didn't push back there. Also, she pushes her immigrant background a lot throughout this, right? And that she, earlier in the segment, um, which we didn't play right there for you, she says that she and her mom and her sister turned to Planned Parenthood in order for healthcare because they were immigrants and they, you know, couldn't always afford From healthcare. China, so they did this, right? A country well, that performs a lot of abortions, by the way. Yeah. I think we need to talk about one immigrant who went into an abortion clinic and died on the table, whose name does not, and story does not get told that often, and that is Karnamaya Monger who was a refugee from Bhutan and came over here, Bhutanese refugee, and she died at the hands of Kermit Gosnell. Um, I think that this is something that needs to be talked about. You know what? The CDC is not required to keep track of the number of women that die every year uh, at the hands of an abortionist. I'm surprised the Trump administration hasn't attempted to change that. Well, what happens is a lot of it gets lost in the shuffle a lot of times, right? So a woman starts at an abortion clinic, starts to, you know, suffer complications or hemorrhage, right. gets transferred to a hospital and then ultimately her death certificate is going to say, say from abortion. traumatic bleeding or so, something else, right? So a lot of this is getting lost in the shuffle, but I think you are right that it is totally awful that we're not demanding that we have numbers on the number of women that die at the hands of legal abortionists every single year. I would so think that's those something... are statistics that Planned Parenthood would actually want if they advocate for safe abortions. Right. We need to know how safe is abortion. Exactly. But they don't want to talk about it because their business is not one in transparency. It is one that you know is out to basically get women and trick them into supporting this. And I think that it's awful and wrong. And she should have been pushed. A lot more in this interview, and she wasn't. One more very basic fundamental question that I wish she was asked on The View. Um, Since she is a doctor, and in many of her responses, she says, well, I'm looking at science and data, and according to science and data, and then she goes on and gives her answer. Well, my question for her is, according to science and data, when does life begin? Right. Nobody asked her that. I thought it was a pretty softball interview. I hope that she does more interviews. I think it's going to be an interesting, very different new chapter for Planned Parenthood because I don't see the fight in her like I like I saw in Cecile Richards. Um, so I'm curious to see where it goes. But there's a lot of 
really good, important articles circulating around the internet right now, calling out the hypocrisy of someone who is, you know, being who is an actual doctor and takes that oath to do no harm. Um, who is now leading the nation's number one abortion provider. Absolutely. And I think it's also important really quickly that we mention her abysmal track record uh, when she was health commissioner of Baltimore, which Maryland now has the highest diagnosis rates in the country for syphilis and HIV and AIDS. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. And in the rollout video that Planned Parenthood introduced, she said that, you know, Planned Parenthood is doing life-saving work, um, no, actually, it's doing the opposite. It's promoting life terminating work. So I just think that when we have conversations with Planned Parenthood, it's important to push them to say factual things. Um, and I think that we do need to talk about her record and whether or not she honestly is qualified to do this job. Although I think this job actually this job is the job of trafficking women and doing terrible things to them. So in this case, I think she is perfectly qualified <laughs> anyway. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about her much more in future editions of Problematic Woman. But let's move on to our next topic for the week. This one, we wanted to bring your attention to a brand new study from the University of Arizona that found over 50% of biological girls who identify as boys between the ages of 11 and 19 have attempted suicide at least once in the past year. So these are transgender boys Um, which gets confusing, but it's biological girl who identifies boys. One in every two transgender boy between the ages of 11 and 19 have attempted suicide at least once. And then for uh, the same age group, for uh, for teens who are non-binary, which means gender non-conforming, they are confused, they don't know which gender they identify with, maybe both, maybe neither, 40% of those adolescents have attempted suicide at least once. And then for transgender girls, so biological boys uh, who identify as girls, uh, it was three in every 10 have attempted suicide. Brie, I I first heard about this story. Truth be told, I have a transgender Google alert and I saw it pretty early and I thought, is this just some fringe study? Can we trust it? Who are these researchers? Why is it not being reported on yet? Because these seem like shockingly high statistics and really important statistics to talk about. And so, you know, I had some of our friends at the Federalist help me out who actually have medical degrees and they verified this was published in a very respectable medical journal. Journal. This study was peer reviewed and it actually drew from a survey that over 120,000 students took throughout the United States. And what I thought was, you know, an extra level of interesting when you look at the author's um, the authors of this study, his background, the lead author, um, he his name is Russell Toomey. And to his credit, he did some great work here and actually is promoting the truth and what he found. He, he's not suppressing this research um, like we just saw over at Brown University. Um, but he he it, it appears that he comes from a very LGBTQ positive um, positive background. He It seems like he's someone who went into this line of work to genuinely help people. And his interest is how do we prevent um, suicides from, um, from these sort of what he calls marginalized populations. So I think to his credit, 
for publishing this study, um, I'm sure he'll receive a lot of backlash from within the LGBT community. I'm interesting to see if that happens. But just, you know, sort of from the breaking news perspective, I mean, half of every biological girl who identifies as a boy who's between the ages of 11 and 19 has attempted suicide. And I think that raises so many questions for our government, for families, for our school systems, for the media, and how we handle the issue of uh, of, of transgender individuals, um, particularly adolescents who are coming out in higher and higher numbers than ever before and identifying as transgender. I think we really need to st- take a step back and ask, is this something we should be encouraging? Is this good for the public health of our children? And according to this study, the clear, clear answer is no. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are just heartbreaking and shocking. Um, and I definitely think that it's very clear that we don't know what a lot of the long-term ramifications are going to be of, you know, individuals that um, decide to transition. I think that, you know, this is obviously a topic that needs to be approached delicately and with a lot of sensitivity. And I think that a lot more research needs to be done. And I think this is just really the tip of the iceberg in terms of the phenomenon as a whole. Um, So I, I really commend this researcher for taking on this difficult task Right. And deciding to say, okay, you know, what happens to individuals that decide to transition when they're teenagers? I think that this is so important and potentially life saving. So I really commend this researcher for taking this on and not backing down, even though, you know, some of the results might not be what some people want. I agree. This is a very sensitive topic. And my heart really does go out because these children are clearly struggling And I actually wrote a piece um, for both the Federalist and the Daily Signal on this study. And my big takeaway from this is that we as a society need to differentiate between celebrating differences among people and encouraging dangerous behavior. And I I think that's what it really comes down to when you see the whole ideology of um, being transgender, being Uh, introduced to kids at younger and younger ages, I think that is becoming a very dangerous thing when you see these suicide rates. Absolutely. So just like an hour ago, the news was breaking that Senator Dianne Feinstein told other members on the Senate Judiciary Committee this week that she'd received information about Brett Kavanaugh, but refused to specify what exactly the information was, um, and then released a statement just before we started the show saying that the individual who sent her the letter with some of the information in it asked not to be named, uh, declined to go forward with the allegations, does not want to go public. So Feinstein is respecting that request, although she did refer this letter, the contents in it, to the FBI and brought the attention to uh, her fellow uh, committee members. So sources told a New York Times congressional reporter that the information allegedly involved potential sexual misconduct with no clarification of what exactly that means between Kavanaugh and another young woman when they were both in high school. Um, Basically, he's being hashtag me too'd. Right. For something that, you know, allegedly happened 30 years ago. And I think it's so important for us to always believe women when they come forward with their stories and their experiences and allegations, especially on this topic, because so many women you know, are not believed and don't come forward because they're afraid to be believed. 
but and I think that we should always believe them until we have a reason to be skeptical about their story. Right. And I think someone who doesn't want to be named, who doesn't want to press charges, who doesn't want to actually pursue this matter any further other than, you know, writing a letter about this. I about think some, that some alleged interaction that happened in high school. Exactly. I think that we need to broach that with a lot of skepticism. Agreed. Right. Um, so I think that we just really need to be careful when we're talking about this. The news is still breaking. We don't totally know all the details. This is what we know thus far. Thought we would bring it to your attention because this week there's been some other issues of other senators saying other misleading statements about Brett Kavanaugh. Kelsey, take it away. Absolutely. So this came from Senator Kamala Harris, who um, who put out a pretty misleading tweet claiming that Brett Kavanaugh believes that birth control is a, quote, abortion inducing drug. So here's a clip of the exact video that. Senator Harris tweeted. Filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of uh, the uh, abortion-inducing drugs that they were, as a religious matter, objected to. So what she tweeted with that video was, Kavanaugh chooses his words very carefully, and this is a dog whistle for going after birth control. He was nominated for the purpose of taking away a woman's constitutionally protected right to make her own health care decisions Make no mistake, this is about punishing women. Yes, because all Brett Kavanaugh wants to do is punish women, including his two two daughters. So this was just so dishonest. We even have uh, the Washington Post fact checkers, liberal fact checkers coming out um, and calling out Kamala Harris and other Democrat senators who sort of echoed um, and echoed this sentiment. calling out calling them out for how dishonest and misleading it is so when the video that you heard um, was a clip of Brett Kavanaugh actually referring to the the legal uh, the viewpoint from the priest for life which is a Catholic nonprofit in a case which he argued that priests for life shouldn't have to provide women with the contraceptive coverage mandated by the Affordable Care Act for religious reasons I'm sure a lot of our listeners a lot of our our viewers are well familiar with this argument from religiously affiliated organizations it's really not new and not that controversial that catholics don't want to be involved with providing uh, birth control or plan b but instead of um, being honest and 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 you know putting that video into context they they clipped out the beginning of it making it seem like that's brett kavanaugh's view um and then we also saw CNN repeat that and Hillary Clinton repeat some form of that claim. So um, very, very dishonest. I was very disappointed to see um, the media echo that. I guess I should expect it from some you know, liberal Democrats like Kamala Harris. Um, but I would think that you know, CNN could do better. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I don't have to agree with another person's conscience objections to something else, but I think we can all agree that individuals need to determine what that line is for themselves. The government ought not to be determining what you should or should not believe, right? So if someone is going to say that contraceptives, that they believe, you know, that that's an uh, abortion-inducing substance and they don't want to be complicit in that, I don't have to agree with them in order to agree with the fact that they should have the right to be able to determine that for themselves. And I think that that's very clearly the argument that he is making in this case. 
Um, and I obviously they're taking it out of context, completely distorting what he is saying there. And it's appalling that other media outlets just decided to run with that. Agreed. And the last thing I want to mention in honor of the spirit of problematic women is, uh, of course, most of us know that Senator Susan Collins, a Republican, is one of sort of the swing votes on issues like Supreme Court nominees. Uh, Everyone's waiting for her to come out and tell us whether or not she's going to support uh, Brett Kavanaugh's uh, nomination. And uh, a lot of liberal groups have been encouraging their supporters to call her office, write her letters. And she came out this week and um, talked about some of the really inappropriate, mean-spirited um, letters and, and and voice messages and phone calls that she and her staffers have had to deal with. And she came out with a pretty strong statement saying that these things are not going to sway her mind and they need to stop. And I just want to give her credit for speaking out because it really is bullying when you have this type of rhetoric directed at these poor young staffers who have to be put, put up with some very nasty things. So um, shout out to Susan Collins for standing up for herself and her staffers. On that note, we will take a very short break. When we come back, we will toss to our next segment. This is what feminism looks like. And we're back with our next segment. This is what feminism looks like, in which we hold up positive examples of feminism. So earlier this month, Angela Angela Konecki, who's an investigative reporter and news anchor at KELO-TV in South Dakota, shares her own story of how the opioid crisis has hit very close to home for her. In recent years, we have brought you many news reports on the opioid crisis. But now, the opioid epidemic has hit home in a tragic and devastating way for me personally. On May 16th, my 21-year-old daughter, Emily, died of an overdose. Her official cause of death was fentanyl poisoning. The loss of a child, especially in this sudden and shocking way, has turned my world upside down. I never intended a member of my family to become part of the statistics you hear on the evening news. Nobody does. And there is no recovery for me or my family of the loss of my talented, smart, and beautiful daughter, Emily. Instead, I am forced to move forward. And my only choice now is how I do that. My choice, even at great personal risk, is to share my daughter's story with all of you. The reason I'm doing this is because my only hope in the face of such devastating loss is that Emily's story, my family's personal tragedy, can be a catalyst for change. We must come up with better, more affordable ways to treat addiction. We also need to abolish the stigma that prevents many from seeking help, including my daughter. If 72,000 people were dying a year from any other cause, we would be uniting to end the suffering of so many families, so many mothers. So obviously very moving segment in which she brings her own personal experience um, to shine light on the opioid epidemic and the CDC you know, is data that points to 115 Americans dying every single day of an overdose. This is definitely, I mean, she's absolutely right. This is a national crisis and one that often gets, you know, ignored or sidelined because it's something that's 
uncomfortable or something that we don't want to talk about. And I think that this was so brave of her to talk about her own experience, but also like extra brave that she was able to do it and remain so cool and composed throughout that. She maintained her the tone that she should maintain. Yeah, professionalism. There we go. As as an anchor, while she is bringing this story to you, um, you know, traditionally, usually reporters don't make stories about themselves. But in this case, I think she does a really good job of being able to blend that together in a way that is so important and so powerful and so impactful. And I think that, you know, my heart goes out to her as she's still in this grieving process and she is able to use the example and the story of what happened to her daughter as, you know, part of this larger story and this ongoing crisis that so many American families are struggling with. Absolutely. So please keep Angela and her family in your prayers. Uh, Maybe give her a follow on Twitter, support her work because she really is making a difference out there. And it's so encouraging to see local news reporters um, really, you know, be that successful and that strong, especially when they're dealing with a tragedy such as that. So thank you, Angela. When we come back, we'll name our Problematic Woman of the Week. And we're back. It's time to announce our Problematic Woman of the Week. Brie, of course, the Problematic Woman of the Week has to go to this lady named Florence. Yes, and by lady, we mean disaster that is actually coming our way. No, seriously. Watch out for her. Yes, exactly. Especially if you're in North or South Carolina, southern part of Virginia, and now Georgia, that whole area is expected to be hit hard by this storm. Um, Fortunately, some of the wind expectancy with this you know, hurricane has been downgraded a little bit, but that doesn't reduce the risk when it comes to extreme rain and extreme flooding. They don't know exactly how long it's going to hover over land uh, and where exactly it's going to go. So that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye out for. Make sure that you are prepared if you are in any of these zones. If the government is telling you that you need to evacuate, you should be evacuating get out. Um, If you're kind of on the border there, you know, then making sure that you are prepared that your windows are nailed shut that you bring all your heavy items or patio furniture inside uh, and that that's all locked up as well as making sure that you have fresh batteries in all of your flashlights, that you have flashlights, that they're ready somewhere that you can find them, that you have plenty of fresh water, um, that you have a first aid kit, that your car is full of gas and that you have enough food that is already prepared for your pets, for your family, just for the next couple of days. Bree, it sounds like you've been through this before. I... Okay, so hurricanes are, like, terrifying to me, so I just know off the top of my head what you're supposed to do in the case of... And make sure that you have any papers or anything like that in a spot that's easy for you to grab them. Maybe put together a go bag so that way you're ready to go. Yeah, and uh, I, if you're a Twitter user, I highly encourage you to follow the National Hurricanes Center on Twitter. They are very good about um, tweeting live updates um, specific areas, the the changes in the storm's track, changes in the strength of the storm, changes in expected flooding. Um, they are at NHC underscore Atlantic on Twitter. Um, they have been great, a great resource for me to keep um, keep up updated on what's happening. We're we're very lucky and grateful. It sounds like it's going to miss us in Washington D.C. We we were in an um, 
we were in an area that we thought we'd be affected, but it's been it's been sunny here. So I think the best we can do is bring attention to the areas that it is supposed to hit, um, let you know it is changing its path. It's going more south. So please stay updated. Stay safe. We're thinking of you all. We're praying for you all and your belongings and your pets and everything that might be in this storm's path. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up our show this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please don't be a stranger. Reach out to us. Tell us who she is. You can follow all of my work over at at The Federalist and on Twitter. You can follow me at Brie underscore Payton. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist, and it is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. If you like this podcast, we like to finish each other's sentences here on the show. So anyway, if you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and your family and for supporting strong conservative women and standing up for America's culture. 